Welcome to the next episode of Vine and Bubble Podcast, where we discover the real story of Champagne. I'm Sarah Underdown, and today I'm in Champagne as part of a two-day special event with a maison we're probably all familiar with, Piper Heidzik. We're going to meet the award-winning man behind Piper's winemaking and viticultural team and creator of a brand new champagne that goes deep into the DNA of Piper Heidzik's black fruit vibrant and fresh style. Recently, he was recognized as the sparkling winemaker of the year 2023 at the International Wine Challenge in London. His name is Emilien Boutier, who just happens to be Champagne's youngest chef de cave at just 34. Emilien, welcome. It's really great to have you with us. Thank you. Pleasure. Over the last few days, I've had the pleasure of spending a lot of time with you and your team. And the thing that stands out to me is that you appear just as vibrant and charming as your champagnes. When you were selected to join the team at just 31, it seems they couldn't have found a better complement between you and the wine you would end up producing. So what was it like to be given such an opportunity to join the Maison as the chief winemaker at such a young age? Well, it's a great opportunity. It's a great chance. But most of that, I think it was a great meeting between uh, the brand, the team, the CEO also of Piper Atsik. Uh, during the recruitment process, when we met, it was a good match from scratch. Uh, we shared values, we shared the vision. So it was like a, a natural meeting. But for me, indeed, as a young winemaker, it was an amazing opportunity. You know, in Champagne, we have an old history mm-hmm. and not every house have the ability to trust somebody like me so young at that time and give kind of the the freedom to mm-hmm. take over Regis Camus position and take over that great history and that great brand, which is Piper Isaac. Mm. But you are a local as well. So you've got a very good pedigree, obviously, being <laughs> a Champenoise and born in Chamouzi to the western of the Montagnes, son of a wine growing family. What was life like as a kid for you? Oh, it was amazing. My, my father is a vine grower. And in fact, all my family, because one of my uncle look at our genealogy. And actually, my family is based in Chomusy since 1765. So 20 mm. years before the creation of Piper at Sick Champagne House. So I have a long legacy of family of a vine grower. So I grew up with my father going in the vineyard with him, doing the pruning, the harvest, of course, the riddling by hand also in the cellar. So I really grew up in that world in that magical world of champagne. So I think it was in my blood from a very young age. Mm-hmm. But then as any teenager, I guess, I wanted to leave home, mm. to leave champagne and discover the world. Mm. Okay, so that brings me to my next question because unlike some other people, you've actually flown the nest, you've gone and gotten some specific worldwide experience. So you've been to California, New Zealand, South Africa. How has that experience influenced what you are now doing at Piper Heidsick? Well, yes, the idea was really for me to leave Champagne and meet with other visions, other winemakers, other uh, culture, other climate as well. So, and I have to say that uh, if I had to do it, uh, I will do it again. And that's the advice I give to any younger winemaker to leave the place where they were born to see different things. And well, I worked in different places such as Chateau Margaux or Chateau du Pape in, in France, or as you say, uh, California with Peter Michael Winery. Mm-hmm. In every case, it was very high end. A winery, very high quality champagne, uh, champagne wine, sorry, mm. with uh, attention to every detail. So that's opened my mind to many, many things. But I also worked in New Zealand, for example, or in Chile with bigger scale winery, where I learned how to be efficient, kind of, mm-hmm. in order to make good wine, but in larger scale. And at the end of the day, I think champagne is the only place in the world when you need to produce in quite big volume, amazing champagne, very high quality champagne, prestige wine at the end of the day. So to combine both Larger volume and high quality wine 
it was very useful for me when I came back to Champagne. And also, I met with different winemakers. I faced different climate as well. And I wanted at the end of the day to come back to Champagne. And, you know, Champagne is very established and historical vineyard. And we have rules that define Champagne and make Champagne great. But sometimes I think it was important to find freedom in that regulation of Champagne. And with that open mind that I came back with, uh, thanks to the experience I had abroad, I was able to to find new areas, new freedom inside the Champagne area. So you touched on something really interesting about the different climates and obviously some warmer climates than what Champagne is, obviously. So how has that experience working in warmer climates assisted you dealing with some of the climate change challenges that are occurring now in Champagne? Well, Climate change is affecting us in Champagne, but less so far than in other parts of the world. So it was very important and interesting for me to learn and see how you can keep the freshness in the wine, for example, how you can face lack of water. So far in Champagne, we don't have this type of issue. Actually, the maturity of the grapes is probably a bit higher and better than what we used to have in the past. But we already face climate effects such as extreme, like heat waves, frost, hail, so we are affected already by climate change and we need to adapt to it to find a way to keep the quality of our champagne consistent, to keep the style of Piperazzi consistent. So you need to adjust the way you make your viticulture. You need to adjust the way you make your winemaking and remain sustainable because the other issue is to change the way we make champagne, to have a, a smaller uh, footprint, to reduce your footprint, the carbon footprint, but also the water footprint, the energy footprint, in order to have a lower impact on that climate change and be able to preserve that wonderful terroir we have in champagne. Because I want the next generation of winemakers to be able to make great champagne, great piperatic champagne, and the next uh, generation of consumers in Australia and in the world to be able to enjoy fresh and vibrant champagne from us. So for those who may be listening and do not know, Piper Heizek and Charles Heizek have a common ownership through the EPI group and it was a big deal last year when the company announced it was B Corp certified, which is an extensive and very rigorous process to go through involving assessment of your social and environmental influence right across the company. But this is really an extension of the certification that the Maison currently has under the region's VDC mm-hmm. certification process, which takes into account a more localised focus around sustainability, but also France's HVE equivalent. Can you explain the impact that this has had on your approach in the vineyard and in the cellar? Well, as we just mentioned, climate change is affecting us, so we need to do something. Uh, it started in the vineyard, of course, because uh, we have a Chopin house and everything starts in the vineyard, so we are already certified VDC and HVE3 indeed since 2015, and we also aim to, to move toward that direction with the growers we are working with. So that was the beginning, but we go beyond that certification by not using any more herbicide, for example, not any more insecticide to enhance the biodiversity around our vineyards, to make experimentation on organic farming, but other varieties, for example, to look to the future and see how we can build the viticulture of tomorrow. But the environment issues are not only in the vineyard and in the sustainable farming. Environment is bigger than that. So the carbon footprint is something also very important for us as we also export our champagne worldwide in mm-hmm. Australia in particular. And we don't want to stop that, but mm-hmm. we need to find new ways to have a lower carbon footprint. So we already committed to reduce drastically our carbon footprint by something around 46% for scope one and two and also for scope three by 2030 and be part of the net zero initiative globally worldwide by 2050. Mm. And that's just for the environment. Then yes. our way of thinking is bigger than that. We really wanted to have an approach, a business model, which is slightly different that we're used to have, 
and really think differently and take into consideration environment, but also the people and the societal and the area champagne where we work in. So that's why we choose the B Corp certification, which is a holistic approach, 360 degrees, and that take into consideration every single externalities for the planet and for the people. So that's really that global approach that uh, we wanted to adopt. And there is a claim linked with the B Corp certification. The claim is don't try to be the best in the world, but try to be the best for the world. And that's really goal that we have. And that's the philosophy of Piper at Seek today, to build together a better future with our growers, with our team, with our suppliers, joyful and better future. Okay. So yesterday you announced the very first champagne that you have made in your own right, beyond the legacy of your predecessor, Regis Camus, a Blanc de Noir version of Essential, which is another chapter in an incredible lineup of multi-vintage champagnes in the Essential range. It was absolutely brilliant and everybody in the room really enjoyed it, almost an amplified version of your vibrant style um, with a beautiful crunchy fruit character, really loved it, but an underlining stony minerality, really beautiful. Piper is best known for its eye-catching red label, Brut Non Vintage, but Essential is less known. It's more discreet branding and a larger focus on premise, restaurants and similar. Can you describe what the key difference is between the Brut Non Vintage and the Essential range? Cuvée Brut and Essential, really two expressions of the same style, the style of Piperatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cuvée Brut is really the universal expression of Piperatic. So if you don't know champagne, if you never tasted some sparkling champagne, it's perfect to start with Cuvée Brut because it will be a very seductive and fresh champagne. Essential is a more complex, more gastronomic expression of the style of Piperatic champagne. As you say, it's only on premise. So you will be able to also pair essential with a nice gastronomy, nice, uh, nice dinner, etc. So we have really that two expression of the same style and the premium multi vintage champagne mm. as something we really believe in because champagne is champagne and we want to celebrate with champagne, but champagne is also a wine. And it's very interesting to, to put our champagne on the nicest table in Australia and in yeah. the world and be able to really fit champagne with nice gastronomy. So indeed, we created Essential with the idea to have a longer aging on lease in our cellar, a lower dosage, less sugar to highlight even more the minerality and the freshness and vibrancy of our champagne. And also linked with B Corp, a commitment, the transparency on the label of each cuvée of Essential, Essential, Essential Blanc de Blanc and Blanc de Noir. You will have the identity card of the wine, the full composition, the percentage of reservoir, date of bottling, date of disgorgement. So you will be able to understand even better what is inside Brilliant. the bottle. Brilliant. It gives a lot of power to the consumer to know more. Yeah. So that's fantastic. So can you provide us with an overview of why you selected a Blanc de Noir style? It's a style that's less common. We don't see a lot of it on our shelves. And how is this emblematic to the Maison's greater focus on sustainability as well? Yeah, that was like almost like an evidence. If mm. you look at the history of Piper at Seek and the style of Piper at Seek, we always have been connected with Pinot Noir first. We have a long history with Pinot Noir, long-term partnership also with growers of Pinot Noir in different areas of Champagne. So that link with Pinot Noir, our emblematic grape, was like an evidence. Then you have also the Meunier, which is always have been second in the blend of Piper at Six. So it was for me an evidence to create that Blanc de Noir. Then beside the Pinot Noir, the Blanc de Noir sometimes can be very powerful structure, a big guy, kind of. Mm-hmm. But the style of Piper at Seek is almost at the opposite, finding the freshness, the minerality and the vibrancy in those terroir and in these grapes of Pinot Noir and Meunier. So that's why we wanted to combine and kind of twist 
the, the script with the idea of uh, creating a blanc de noir with more freshness, more elegance, more minerality. Mm. So it's really a tribute to our history, to mm. our roots with selecting Pinot Noir and Meunier. And also it's linked with the modern style of Piper Hatsik that fits also to what we want to enjoy as a champagne today. Mm. And that cuvee is also looking towards the future because 100% of the blend is coming from sustainable farm vineyards. Mm. From our own vineyard, but also from growers that were already certified by the viticulture durable champagne, VDC certification, a few years ago already. And it's not an achievement. It's really like the beginning of the story. It's the milestone. We aim to renew and refresh all the reserve wine we have in our cellar to slowly but surely be able to launch all our cuvées with that certification. Because mm -hmm. we, so it's just the first step, let's say, uh, mm -hmm. towards a more beautiful, uh, sustainable and bright future. Yeah, so it seems like a real line in the sand when it comes to this is where we're going now into the future. And particularly with that focus, once again, on the black grape varietals. And I'm wondering, you were talking about freshness and, and how you bring freshness into Pinot Noir in particular. You put 10 crews specifically into this blend, and I'm wondering what sort of influence does the location have on the freshness aspect of this champagne? So to find that freshness and that vibrancy, indeed, the terroir is key. Uh, also, the date of picking is key. So it's really a combination of different things. Mm -hmm. So in that blend, I wanted to highlight also every single great terroir of Pinot Noir and Meunier in Champagne. So you have Ambonnet from Montagne de Reims, but you also have Aïe from Val la Marne, and then the Côte des Bars, Côte, uh, uh, Bar Secanet, sorry, and Bar, Bar sur Bois with Fontette, Merville, Neuville-sur-Seine. And in each, every single terroir, you have different areas. Mm. And for example, Fontette is a quite bright and fresh microclimate in Côte des Bars. So that's one of the answer of that freshness. Then for the Meunier, we use, for example, Cormissy, which mm. is the, a village which is at the top north of Champagne with a fresher climate, of course, with a ground which is mainly sand. You have some Courma, which is also a cool climate. You have Verneuil in the, in the Vallée de la Marne. So that's really that selection of terroir and inside a village, microclimate in that village that allow us to choose, for example, a vineyard facing east, instead of south, to get more freshness, more acidity, to balance the blend. Mm. So you mentioned to me previously that Meunier is becoming increasingly important to the Maison as a tool for managing some of the impacts from climate change and bringing some of that freshness into the cuvee. Can you explain what you mean by that and how do you see it being used more strategically? Yeah. Last year was a good example. 2022 is a quite warm, bright vintage, but with a nice ripeness and high ripeness. And we have in mind that Pinot Noir will bring the structure, the Chardonnay, the citrus and the freshness and the Meunier, the gourmandise and the fruitiness. But it's not that true and that's easy. Actually, Meunier is bringing more and more freshness into the blend, especially in warmer vintage for different reasons. The balance of the grape itself, the location where you will find the Meunier is most of the time cooler places. So it means that in the past, maybe it was hard for the Meunier to get the perfect ripeness. Today, with the global warming, you can reach a better ripeness, but you will keep that freshness, that acidity, which is key when it's time to make the blend. So last year, and that was also the case in 2018 or 19, choosing some specific and particular money helped me to bring back freshness into the blend. So that might be one of the answer 
uh, to balance our champagne and keep the style consistent in the future. So do you think the representation of Mernier in your blends is going to increase as a result or is it really just the location of where that Mernier is? Yeah, well, it, it already increased actually. We used to have in, in our history a, a balance for uh, for the Cuvée Brut, for example, or Essentiel, mm -hmm. 50 Pinot, 30 Mernier, 20 Chardonnay. And without paying attention to that, it's slightly moving to 40, 40, 20. Mm -hmm. So it's a natural evolution in order to keep the style consistent. Mm -hmm. To remain consistent and respect our history, I think we always need to innovate, change few things, not to change, but just to respect and keep maintaining the quality of our champagne, innovating without stopping to respect our history. So can you maybe talk us through what the composition is of the Blanc de Noir and the time on leaves, why you've decided that sort of time, why you've decided that sort of dosage as well, and what does it bring to the blend? So the exact blend is 80% Pinot Noir, 20 Meunier, mm -hmm. as we said before, 10 different villages such as Ambonnet, Aïe, mm -hmm. Fontette, Merville, and for the, for the Meunier, Cormissi, Courma, Verneuil, for example. The bottling was made in 2020, so the base vintage is 2019, and actually there is no reservoir, mm. but it's a non-vintage champagne in mm -hmm. the future. And the, the fact is, it's 100% 2019, and I kept few liters, few hectoliters of that blend, in the tank in order to create the reservoir for the future batches of Essential Blanc de Noir. Then it remained three years on lease and it was disgorged this year in March and it will arrive on the market by the end of the year, which means minimum six months of aging after disgorgement. Mm -hmm. The dosage is decided, as anything else we do at Piperati, by blind testing with my team. The idea is really to find the perfect balance again to keep the vibrancy, but give a touch of creaminess around it. So we end up with an extra brut dosage, which mm -hmm. is only five grams per liter of sugar. That mm -hmm. will highlight the precision, the minerality, and a, a touch of vibrancy and toastiness. It's probably a little bit difficult to look into the future right now, but do you have something in mind insofar as the proportion of reserve wine that you're going to add to that ultimate blend next time? Well, as it's a, a new entry in the, in the portfolio, in the collection of Piperatic, we already have some other Blanc de Noir in the cellar right now. So I already know. <laughs> you already know. Yeah. So okay. we, we use that very first Blanc de Noir as the reserve for the second batch. Mm. And I use, I don't remember exactly, but it was between 25 and 30% of reservoirs. And then I always keep that reserve and started a solar system. The idea is to take every year part of that reserve mm -hmm. and refresh it with new Pinot Noir and Meunier from the last vintage. So we will be around 25 to 30% of reservoir, just like mm -hmm. uh, we have the same amount of reservoir for Essential or Essential Blanc de Blanc. That touch of reservoir will even enhance even more complexity for the next batches of Blanc de Noir. I'm looking forward to trying that one then. <laughs> so on the back of your first sustainably farmed champagne, what is next for Piper Hyde's sustainability agenda? Well, we have a big agenda. <laughs> As we say, it's just the beginning. The B-Corp certification, same thing. It's not an achievement. It's really the base we wanted to build in order to grow and in multidimensional way create sustainability. So commitment in the vineyard, we are already certified, but the next goal for me is to convince every single growers we are working with to take the same path. So today we are, the entrepreneur in general is already on the good path, but we aim to have 100% of our mm. growers certified or engaged into the certification of sustainable farming by Brilliant. 2025, which is tomorrow. Yeah. Because what matters for us is really to, to lead the way, but then bring everyone with us. Then, as we said before, the climate strategy, reducing of the carbon footprint is key for us, and we are working hard on it. The energy, we 
invest a lot this year to renew completely the system of energy on our production site to divide by two the quantity of electricity and energy we need. We already use renewable electricity, but we want to reduce our consumption. Mm. Mm. Water is not an issue yet in Champagne, but some of my colleagues in California, for example, are already facing big issue and lack of water. So we don't need to wait to face that to change the way we clean our tanks and use water in our winery. So we also aim to reduce the quantity of water we use. Mm. So that's plenty of initiative that we have. To keep you busy. Yeah, to keep keep you busy. busy. (laughs) And actually, every single employee at Piperacic as a CSA objective. It can be on the environment, on the people, for the HR department, for example. Mm-hmm. But in every decision we make, we think sustainability and externalities we have. So that's really in the mindset of everyone, from the boss mm. up until mm. the, right the worker in the vineyard. We yeah. all have that in our mind today. Mm. Brilliant. So, Emilian, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here today and spending time with us. Thank you for your time. As a champagne lover, the work you're doing with your colleagues are um, is exciting and producing some of the freshest and best quality champagnes I've experienced from the Maison in recent years. We, of course, look forward to welcoming you back into Australia sometime soon. So thank you. Thank you, sir. And looking forward to, to, to see you in Australia. Sounds good. Thank you. Wine and Bubble is a boutique and independent information source dedicated exclusively to telling the real story of champagne. It was launched by me, Sarah Underdown, in November 2018, after almost a decade of working in the champagne industry as a recognised writer, educator and presenter. Wine and Bubble brings together a network of Australian wine journalists, sommeliers, educators and industry representatives as regular contributors. As a team of champagne lovers and communicators, we are thrilled to share our united passion with wine-loving audiences. To read more about Champagne, to subscribe to events in Australia and learn more about opportunities to join us for experiences in Champagne, visit vineandbubble.com and register your details.